Tennis is a great sport, but you should really watch it on fast forward. I agree. All this sitting down, drinking barley water, towels, just get, forget that. We don't need any of that. Just carry on playing I'll or speed it up. Apparently a lot of people in football mm. will watch games back on either times two or times four. Well, I think I, I don't know if Steve does for his commentary prep when he's, when he's watching games to help him uh, do that. But if, if I have to watch a game, mm. but it's not necessarily as enjoyable as not work is. Mm. That's a very convoluted way of saying sometimes I work, I work by watching football. But I, yeah, I will do. I will get to the point where I can sense whether they are in the final third. Yeah. But and, also then, and then go to normal better, speed. It's better for pattern of play stuff if you watch it on fast forward. You see the patterns oh, much more. Oh, yes, you will. So tactics people will watch James on times two or times four. I would say that tennis mm. is best watched on times 16, times 32. Really? So it's over in a matter of seconds. So that, that, that could be your... Golf is best watched by not watching golf. <laughs> so your superpower, if you have this... Do your spidey senses start tingling when they get towards the final... You just know inherently a team is getting towards the final third. It, it, as if inherently means yeah. I can see it on the television. So basically you can see that they're getting towards the final yes, third. Yes, and then so I press well, play. Well, that's not really... You can see the ball moving towards that area of the pitch. If you had your back to the screen, would you sense that that team is I moving closer to the final third? You can tell from crowd noise... Well, you don't hear not it. On on fast cr- forward, yeah. Not on fast forward. Not on fast forward because it, it mutes it. I tend to watch my football on times five. Do you? I, d- I yeah. don't know. Hang on a minute. It goes. Just gets it over quick. It depends what it depends what uh, your cable slash satellite service is That's as true. to what multiple you can watch. This is really interesting content for everybody. Mm. What 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 is Sky two six? No, but you see, you say that. But I, I'm going to tell you two little stories. Not even two little stories. So I think one of the two one of the things that stories, one of the thing, one of the mistakes <laughs> we make in life as journalists is we think that people only ever want to talk about big things. Whereas the two most engaging conversations I've had with football people recently, mm. one was with Monchi, the sporting director of Sevilla, who's a lovely man, about WhatsApp, about how WhatsApp works. He, looked, he was just absolutely fascinated. That's what people think about. Was people, it new to him? No, no not new no, to him. No, he just enjoyed the process. We were talking about kind of how WhatsApp is... Like, everyone in football only communicates through WhatsApp. It's really weird. But we were talking about kind of why we prefer WhatsApp and why it's good and how it's a pain for him during the transfer window. And the other really, really good conversation I had was in Marbella with James Milner, which I feel as though I can now, I can, I can now reveal, about the M60, <laughs> which for those of you who don't know is the Manchester Orbital Ring Road. And I'm not, I, I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I would say that is probably in James Milner's top three conversations that he's ever had, was talking to me about the M60 and the best route from South Manchester to the Etihad Stadium. So that was the thesis, was it? Do you go around clockwise or anti-clockwise? Or do you go through Longside? Do you go through Longside? You don't go on the M60 to get to the Etihad. That's he did. That's Millie did. Madness. Millie did. He yeah, found but he, he, he was in a, in a he, coach. No, no, no. With, with police escort. No, he was in his to car. Get anywhere when that happens. On the way to training. Oh. But he... F- and I was with someone from Liverpool at the time and they were sort of laughing at what a boring conversation it was. But that's the stuff that people think about. Mm. People think about how do I get to work? Mm. And people like talking about their roots. So I think we should have more boring conversations. In fact, next season, I might try and do a raft of pieces where I have work a day boring conversations with football people about things like ring roads. Well, I, I There's a market met, for this. I recently met Jack Cork, Burnley's Jack Cork. And we him. had a, a long, in-depth conversation about how great my hair was. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you did. Seriously, we did. He said, <laughs> you look great. You look at least two years younger than you did before. I saw Chris Smalling in the gym earlier. I reckon I can get some pretty boring content out of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, there we go. I thought you had that restraining order still in place. No, <laughs> it's, it's all gone now. Oh, it's been this is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are three people who, when you put their names through a superhero catchphrase generator, are Stephen Wyeth, the dynamic, itchy, surgeon of horror. Andy Hinchcliffe, the awesome gloved swashbuckler of virtue, and Rory Smith, the mysterious slippery crusader of scum. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one, of those, no. one of those fairly limited generators. Uh, we are maintaining our incredible speed at uh, making our way through our beige buffet. Um, judging by the things that are most popular, we're going to soon need more cocktail sausages, and would you believe, cheese and pineapple on sticks, which have uh, been a resounding success. The vitamin C is good for my tonsillitis. Oh, yes, you're suffering, aren't you? Yes. Poor you. It's all, just I work so your, hard. With all your working in nice countries. Uh, if you're joining us for a first time, a toe-end dabbling in the stream, we are in the midst of a four-part summer special, the tradition that defines our listeners' year now more than birthdays, anniversaries, and the anniversary of a significant birthday in the religious world. Part one is available. Why wouldn't it be? So we recommend that you screech those breaks and take yourself back a week to begin at the beginning. If you'd like to begin at the very beginning, there are another 134 episodes before we even got to last week. So stop dabbling and dive in. The aforementioned summer special is asking, what is a legitimate football voice? We spoke on part one about how season 2018-19 seemed to be uh, one when views polarised even further than before and how football has become a morass of whataboutery and zero-sum gaming. A sporting Brexit, if you will. On part two, we will be considering the relative merits of theory and experience. How that applies to the media's coverage of football, both live and reported, and how, again, we have got to a stage where one can dismiss the other all too easily. I'm going to start the discussion off with, but by no means limited to, this particular humdinger. On a high-profile piece of televisual coverage, a pundit describes a chance as difficult. Then a couple of days later, a member of the media's intellectual fraternity uses XG to show perhaps it was an easier chance. And then you pick your side and whammo. An argument ensues. Some will value the know-how of the former player, someone probably who has both been there and indeed done that, while others will appreciate the statistical analysis from a notable and no doubt trustworthy source. But does one have legitimacy while the other doesn't? How do we weigh one person's direct knowledge compared with someone else's detailed examination when we look for a legitimate voice in football? What are the relative merits of experience versus theory? Chinch. As a quality former international footballer, now tremendous top flight uh, pundit, I like to <laughs> stop sniggering. I would l- hope, I would hope, and I, I, I actively I just do. I've choked on a sausage roll. Have you? <laughs> Is it because you wanted to agree with what I said? Yes, exactly. Yeah, you, you punched the air, it's enough. I would hope that the, the science behind the game will influence my experience of the game. Mm-hmm. So talking about XG and everything, I'm a big fan of all this. And that, to me, I can have a view on it as a former player, but that doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean it's right. So the science behind the game can maybe give me, inform me even more. So then does that put me in an even better position? I'm not one or the other. I'm both, which probably makes me brilliant. I'd say, Rory, I think that's probably a decent word to use. And that's all for this week's episode. And I'm only going to get joining us. Goodbye. Are you proclaiming yourself to be the legitimate football voice? Hang on a minute. This is a well, guy who got zero out of seven in round one of football fun. Round two coming up later, by the way. Um, so, mm. a legitimate football voice, yes. Do I know a lot about football no. from the past? No. <laughs> Nicholas Anelka <laughs> won the Champions League in his hometown. Big whoop. 
XG, is that going to give me, as a great former player, even more insight to give the analysis to the, to the viewer? Great. I'd rather be me than Nicholas and Nelka. I think there's been a... <laughs> that slided away into... <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. So you've never been the sort, Chinch, to play the I played the game card, When have, have I ever... Ever said no, how never tremendous to me. I am. Even I, I say it in jest. I know how poor I was, no, and how lucky I was. No, no, no. But but I was. More, I wasn't the best. I wasn't the worst. I think more you're importantly, making a different point. More importantly, you never ever seek to say that our views are illegitimate. Just we we were never no because you know more. You, listening to and doing this podcast has made me realise that it is that's what's the really important thing about the people that, that that send in their views, emails, the stuff that we've discussed. There, that's what's about a legit, le, legitimate voice. Surely there has to be. Everyone's got their own point of view, but you have to take it in the round, take it all together to then come to and kind of boil it all down and then say, right, from all this, what do we take out of it? Surely one person can't have all the answers, no matter how intelligent you are, Steve. You simply can't have all the answers, can you? No. And having I... played the game doesn't mean that you're, that you, you're going to have you no know, more than, than anybody else so, in another field. Uh, the way I always think of it is that, I th- that former players and current players and managers and whatever, people who've been involved in football, mm. do have insights into certain aspects that, that people on the outside, be they journalists or just fans, can't really hope to understand fully. So the dynamics of dressing rooms, the kind of the flow of a game, the, the psychological state of players at certain points in certain games, I think we, we can only ever... The best we can hope for on, the, on, on that is kind of second-hand opinions. We've never been yeah. in that high-pressure situation. But also, if I, me playing 20 years ago to how, to how the modern footballer thinks, and I'm learning with, with working in the media, I do get to speak to a lot of it, and they, they do seem to think differently and act differently than I did. Oh, really? 20, yeah, they do. So again, I've got to adjust. and ch- I, I knew what I knew from the time that I played, but football does change, mm. tactics change, approach changes. I speak to a lot of coaches about this, about how they actually coach their players and would they have done the same thing 20 years ago? And they say no, because the, the players' makeup has changed. So we have to adapt to what's happening in the modern game as well. So if a pundit says, well, I play the game, so that means I know everything about football from when I played and for, for time immemorial. No, you have to develop and go with the, the, the trends that are out there and the science that's behind it and constantly keep learning because it will add to the knowledge that you had of, of actually playing the game. You know these Jesse Lingard videos? Yes. That he's got in trouble the, for? The, criti- the ones that he's been criticised for, yeah. That the seem relatively harmless to me given what footballers used to do in Iron Apple. But um, So we should explain, he's been on holiday in Miami... Mm-hmm. And he has released a series of videos, I think, it, uh, on Instagram. I uh, presume so. There is some, some foul language and some, uh, some less than perfect behaviour. General oh, really? tomfoolery. Yes, that's why I said less than perfect, right? It probably, it probably comes under the context of the heading of banter, doesn't it? In that it's. Oh, well, that makes it even deep, worse. Deeply irritating, but that's basically harmless. That's devious. <laughs> yeah. it, it comes under the boys will be boys headline that yeah. somewhat ignores the fact that Lingard is approaching his late 20s. In fact, yes. he's edging towards 30, so yeah. perhaps. Should, should Stephen, would you allow your children to watch it? Well, they've not got an Instagram account. No, so. that's not the point. Would you allow your children to watch it? No. Right. So it's it's not great, but definitely it's not the worst twelve A's. It's, it's so anyway, not, your point. Yeah. Yeah, okay, Jesse Lynn. Oh no, they've but seen there's loads been a lot of, of twelve A's. Kind of, <laughs> whenever, whenever people like Lingard or Rashford or that kind of generation of player, although as you say, Lingard is older than everyone thinks he is and probably should know better. There's this tendency for for players of Chinch's generation and previous to come out and say this is disgraceful. You know that you know Man United have had a poor season. Lingard should be should be keeping his head down or doing whatever. You're not allowed to go on holiday or whatever. Completely disregarding the fact that the people criticising him would have turned up for training drunk quite a lot of the time. Jesse Lingard's never done that. Mm-hmm. That they would have gone on holiday and done much worse things. Jesse Lingard is, is basically filming himself. He's been a bit of an idiot, but he's, it's, it's, 
as far as I can tell from what I've seen, basically harmless. Yeah, it's, it's, but the, the criticism should be, is this age appropriate? Yeah, is, is, is Jesse Lingard a bit immature? Yeah. Not, he is disgracing himself and his club by doing this. Yes. But the problem is, because it's a new... It's a, it, because filming yourself doing stuff on Instagram is not something that the, the older generation understand fully, they don't equate it with being something... They, they don't equate it with the equivalent of them going to the, going to the pub after training every day and drinking 10 pints, mm-hmm. which is what they used to do. So if, if you're an athlete, what's better? Is it better to go to the pub after training and drink 10 pints? Mm-hmm. Or is it better to film a stupid video of yourself being an idiot? Mm-hmm. Probably the latter, to be perfectly honest. And I think one of the problems we have is that players of previous generations don't respect enough what you've just said. Yeah. The fact that players, people are different, mm-hmm. players are different, and that the culture of football is different. Yeah. And so you get a lot of criticism based on outmoded concepts of, of what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Because 30 years ago, we wouldn't have done this. Well, it, that's great, but we're not 30 years ago. We're now, so maybe you don't need... What, what you'd have done 30 years ago is irrelevant, yeah. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important to remember. I think it's good that you remember that, change, that you are aware of, of the need to adapt. It speaks volumes for your character. The thing is, when you have kids, that's the thing. You, you, you see the difference. You, you see how they live their lives and, and the, the things that are in their lives that weren't in my life. So you have to, you, you, your life changes when you have children. So then basically, that's what I look at these young footballers in their 20s. That's basically the same age as my kids. Mm. So they're going to behave differently than me. Financially, they're going to be rewarded very differently to me. And I understand there's, there's different pressures. And... And it's just the game, and the game has changed as well in terms of the approach and, and um, tactics and everything else. So I have to consult that. That's my job. That's what I see my job as being. Yes, I have experience of, of having played, but at a very specific time for it, a period of time. And then I'm learning constantly as I moved into broadcasting from coaches, from current players, about what it's like to be a, a coach and a player today. And I'll never stop doing that because that gives me an understanding. You can't always say, oh, back in my day, we'd have done that and I'd have lumped him into the crowd. You can't do that these days anyway. So that's just, it just sounds stupid if you say that. And I don't actually believe it. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because you don't have to have been a politician, for example, to comment on politics. You don't have to have done so many things that other people do comment upon and it is considered legitimate when they do so. So is it just a sport thing? Is it just a football thing where people will say from within the game, I do not value your opinion because essentially you do not come from a place that I do and that is having played the game. Uh, but our former players held up as knowing genuinely from, from, from you guys that have worked in broadcasting and, and clearly not played, you have seen you play, you're awful. So would um, our, our former players seen as knowing more, genuinely knowing more about the game than everybody else? Is Tradition that still dictates the case that they today? are. Today? Well, that, that, that's the question that we're asking. I mm. think it's changing. I think, it's, I think there is a shift in the sense that, yeah, as Hugh says, traditionally we've always assumed we needed former players to tell us about what we have just seen. But I think increasingly there are different ways of interpreting that information, HG being quite a good example of it, that, that challenge that kind of hegemony effectively. Well, that, that example is, is a really useful one to, to launch it from because you use the example of, say, somebody sits down on a Saturday night, they watch Match of the Day, and Alan Shearer and Ian Wright conclude that 1-1 was about a fair result on the basis of the 10 minutes of highlights we've just seen happy with 1-1 then maybe on Monday there's an article online or in one of the papers which takes a statistical breakdown of the same game shows that via XG Team X should have scored four times Team Y should have scored twice and people will go back to the BBC or whichever Sky, BT whoever say your pundits don't know what they're talking about because 
Duncan Alexander has written an article which demonstrates that game should have finished 4-2. And your pundit said on Saturday night that 1-1 was about right. Where do you draw the line? Who's right? Or in fact, really, that's the issue is there isn't a right and a wrong. It's just two very different ways of looking at the same game. But also, you can have the science behind it, but then you've got human beings playing the game. If you had robots or computers playing the game, then it might well end up 4-2. But actually, this is human beings and even easy chances... Never happened to me. I always stuck the ball away in the top pocket. But um, players do miss good <laughs> chances. Bin, so once you, top get top a human, top bin, once you get human beings involved, th- th- this is why former players are asked, what did you make of that game? But I think it's really useful for us to be able to bring all that information yeah. together. Mm, Ma- yeah. Match of the day are really clever with the way they use XG. They, they drop it in perhaps over a clip of a manager saying, oh, I think we were unlucky today. And then there's, there's yeah. an XG graphic at the bottom of the screen that proves actually you weren't unlucky at all. This is a fair reflection of what happened in the game. But you have to respect... If Alan Shearer says, for example, that's a difficult chance, mm. you have to respect Alan Shearer's pedigree and his ability to decide whether or not that's a, a difficult chance, even if XG mm. tells you that that was a 0.8 goal-scoring opportunity. I think in those circumstances, you have to say, well, Alan Shearer's been in that position in those conditions, yeah. that sort of situation. So I'll, I'll take that analysis from him, even if statistically someone's saying to me, well, actually, that player probably should have scored it. I'm very much pro-XG, but I, th- I don't think that it necessarily captures everything about a game. It's not meant to, it's not designed to. It's, it's part of the picture, is yeah. it not? Yeah, 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 so it, you, you can have a team that has a lot of the play in a lot of good areas, mm-hmm. but doesn't actually create chances. Yeah. Well, this is the issue with possession that we spoke about when yeah. we did that episode about the value of XG. And the analytics part of things is that everybody's talking about, that certainly in the last five to ten years, they had 75% possession and they didn't win. That's ridiculous. But if the team who they were playing against allowed them to have 75% of the ball and they were complete control the whole time, yeah, yeah. that is their tactic succeeding. So it is not a full picture. It is putting these pieces together to get a full picture, which is why we are probably arguing that both theory and experience yeah. Yeah. are relevant. But what's the, the bit that I think... And it's maybe it's. It, I don't. I don't want to sound like a whinging journalist. I, I find it really interesting that you, you do get this attitude from within within football from managers and to an extent players of you're not a player. You you never played football, so you don't you don't understand it. I can't expect you to understand it. I'm. This is sort of secret knowledge that we have that you're not allowed to have, which is interesting. Is it's the, it's only ever applied to journalists. It's never applied to fans. Man, it, a manager would never say to a fan. You've never played the game. You don't understand what you're talking about. Is it because Except maybe they Nigel are, Pearson? Nigel but, Pearson. <laughs> but it, is it? And, and again, this is um, to tar them all with a, a brush, which is unfair. But is it partly because they are fearful of the intelligence levels of those who are articulating that criticism? No, I, I genuinely, I know what you mean, but are I, they genu- I genuinely by that. No, I genuinely don't think so. Partly because I'm not sure the intelligence levels of the football media are that high, <laughs> and partly because I, I more, more pertinently. I think the people within football genuinely believe that. They genuinely believe you're on the outside. You cannot possibly understand what we're going through. You cannot possibly understand what we're trying to do. You, you, your view is not legitimate. So is that an arrogance then? It's a, it's a belief in secret knowledge, a belief that, you're, that on the inside you have, you have access to, to, to wisdom that people on the outside don't have. I think there's a lot of industries that function like that. The, it's interesting, as I say, that managers and players will never say it to fans. They'll never say you, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Despite the fact that journalists basically are just fans with pens, football fans with pens, that if we don't know what we're talking about, you, you, your average fan certainly doesn't know what they're talking about. And it's also fascinating that you get quite a lot of fans telling you that because you've never played the game, that you're, you don't know what you're talking about, which makes, makes, always makes me think, well, so 
do you not what do you not know what you're talking about either? Like, is is your opinion completely? Are you basically telling me that your opinion is completely illegitimate? <laughs> is is the is the line not quite as straight as maybe it would be for yeah, an offside yeah. on a VAR? Yeah. Then, I mean, th- there must be certain things about having about football that you benefit from having played the game yeah. or being involved. You know, there are certain things about football that Chinch will understand a great deal more than we will. But as we proved at the end of episode one, there are certain things about football that we understand more than he does so is it not about getting <laughs> is it not about getting the right balance we have to yeah, accept that, yeah. you know if, if Chinch is talking about the practicalities of playing the game mm. then we have to take a, a backward step and let him get on with it but if it comes to you know analysis of European Cup finals at, you know the 1970s and 1980s he might have to bow to your greater level well, that's what I do if you've got any time but you've got to take I think you've got to listen to everybody and then you've got to sift it through the certain people I do listen to and I would never say Clearly, you, you, you're an idiot. I'm not going to listen to anybody. They, they let them have their say, and then you basically walk away from them. But you just, you just know. Where, and that would mainly, I, probably, I think, be, be, be fans. That's not being d- dismissive of every single fan I've ever come across. But that tends... Because they're so blinkered that it has to be this way, whether they believe it or not. This is how it is. And I'll be thinking... Remember the phone-ins I used to do as well, where people would ring up and say, City were brilliant today. And then I used to say, well, actually, if we look at this and this and this, they weren't that great. And by the end of, say, 30 seconds later, they're agreeing with you. So actually, you've just taught them round to, to a sensible position rather than one that they had already made their mind upon. And that tends to be fans. I can understand that. They are going to be blinkered because it's their club. Journalists, presumably, have experienced so much of the game and, and different coaches, different clubs through a long period of time. Surely that, their voice has to be more legitimate because they've seen more, experienced more of the game. Unless they're, they're coming at it and they want to stick the knife into somebody. I think the crucial... You, 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 would, never, you would never do that. Would you try and be as honest as you can with the stuff that you write? Yeah, you? yeah of course, yeah. And I think the, but I think what you've got to be really careful of as a, as a, as a, write, as a writing, writing journalist rather than a commentator is I think you have to be aware of the bits that you can't understand or the bits that are mysterious to you. You have to know when to bow to other people's experience. So I think journalists generally are quite good at contextualising things, at, at finding the the causes and correlations yeah. and the kind of the reasons for things, mm-hmm. at exploring why a team is is having success or why a team isn't having success or or telling the human story of something or looking for trends or patterns or whatever. I think journalists are really good at that. In terms of the psychology of dressing rooms, in terms I was going of... I say, surely I'd learn more. You, you tell me about the history of the game. I think one of the pods that we did, you were talking about the history of the game mm. and, and English football. I learned such a lot from that. I could then teach you on how to roll a towel up and flick Efinokoku on the backside. <laughs> if that would enhance your footballing experience... It would, yeah. Again, it's a two-way street. The, it is. The, well, you, that was a rather brave decision. I mean, Efin's quite a bit bigger I'm than I'm saying Efinokoku. It wouldn't have been Efinokoku because he would have killed me. Um, so I probably would have picked on... I don't know, one of the, the ladies that washed... No, it wouldn't have been one of the ladies that washed the kits. Uh, I, didn't I? Yes, it would have been someone that I knew I could probably fight. Peter Atherton. I wouldn't pick on Peter. No, very broad-shouldered. Oh, shoulder. yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't discern. But, you know, someone like Petter Rudy. Petter Rudy, mild-mannered Norwegian. <laughs> I'd have flicked his buttocks no end. Why are we talking about this? I'm just trying to say it's a two-way street. The psychology, the mentality of the dressing room Yes, you can learn a little yeah. bit about that, and that there is there is a value to that. No, not so not always the, as the as, lawnmowers, as bit, by the way. That. I wonder if they're actually not lawnmowering; they're actually just listening into the conversation. They're running that as white noise to just. I don't think it's lawnmowering; it's lawn mowing. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, I think that's the verb. You don't, you, lawn you, you don't say I'm going out to lawn mow with a lawn. Oh, I do. Do you? That's you don't like, have a lawn. That's like I had a problem when I was when I was when I was it's commentating. Just <laughs> when I was commentating with Chidge during the 2000s, I would have this habit of saying headering instead of heading. Just adding an er seems to be part of. But my, being a uh, former player, I, I I would correct you on that, wouldn't <laughs> yes, I? You would. Say actually, it's that's wrong because you I know head that. the ball because you I flick header in the backside. From a journalist's point of view, I think there are certain things that we are qualified to talk about through experience. Just obviously, there's no, qualifi- there's no qualifications to make you a football journalist. You, you didn't have qualifications to make you a journalist, but being a football journalist is really a matter of inclination. The, I think there's certain things that our perspective make, that because of our perspective, the perspective that we have, that our opinions are legitimate and valid on. I think a lot of the time there are people in football who, both within the clubs and within fan within fandom don't really want to hear that perspective which is fair enough but there, I'm, I'm really conscious that, that there are areas that we cannot legitimately talk about without getting outside input so I would never claim to know how a dressing room works because I don't know where the lockers are and <laughs> yeah. is it, what you, the combination, the combination is. is do you need to put no, a pound I, in I always remember I, I remember spending just a, never get changed next to Des Walker I, I remember spending <laughs> a lot of time with Robbie Savage a couple of years ago and I, I think I saw him have you recovered yet I think I saw him. I like did a radio thing with with him, and then and then saw him the next day. And it was there was this, this spell where I saw Robbie Savage like three times in a week. And I I quite like Sav. I think he's all right. He's he's quite he's quite he's essentially harmless, like a puppy or uh, a mild strain of flu. And yeah, but, but remember, they can turn into remember, epidemics yes. quite quickly. Yeah, I remember true. saying to him at the end of it. Just saying, I could not have been a footballer. And he went, in that sort of happy, that big, beaming, blonde way, just went, why? I'm going to do Norman Price from Fireman Sam. Why? What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) Fireman Sam, what do you mean? (laughs) Genuinely one for the kids there. (laughs) We've been watching a lot of Fireman Sam. And it, I, it was just the banter. I just couldn't. I couldn't have coped with being bantered it's, that often. It's, it's hard that work. Much. It's really. It's exhausting. It it's is, absolutely yeah, exhausting. It is, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I could be funny for 10, 20 seconds. But it's and not. Then can it's I not, run out? It's not yeah. funny. Can't it's wait Robbie for that. Robbie Savage is, is only occasionally. I can attempt to be funny. No, but it's the. It's the. going <laughs> to say, let us know when that's coming up. It's the endless. I save it for Savage. Kind of joking at your expense. The fact that w- whatever you say. Is there is a line? There is a line. There's, I consider myself quite intelligent and, and moderately funny, but in that in that sense, whenever I speak, there's loads of people actually around football who I talk to, and you just think how the jo- the, the, there's just these jokes constantly, and it's because they've grown up in that if, dressing room. But if you had had 35 years of learning it, yeah. I think you'd be pretty good by then. You'd have thought so, but I've not, so I couldn't cope. So in terms, no, of but Robbie Savage has been doing it since he was a kid because yeah. it's mm. essentially the same as schoolyard banter. Yeah, it is the same thing that yeah. gravitates you being an adult, but you're using the same parts of your brain yeah. and the same levels of humour. You have to be changing room chinch or at home. <laughs> ch- you do because yeah. even if, say you buy, buy a new pair of jeans and go into training, you have to prepare yourself that someone will see you and know they're a new pair of jeans and go, oh, look at John Paul so, Gaultier coming in. And suddenly it will start so literally, the hair, then? From your, <laughs> literally as you walk into the dressing room, you've got to be prepared for the anti-banter. 
But you yeah. just have to, to fight the battle. You, 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 you have to do it, or you just have to leave the room. It's That's as simple as that. That's got to be exhausting, though. What you can't even go shopping for new clothes. Yes. Or you have Steve, to. You have to imagine, make decisions. Oh, imagine! Oh my goodness! Well, I'd be you'd have been right. you'd have in the corner, fetal position, in tears every day. We wouldn't have even got your boots on to get you on the training but pitch. Always, do, you, do you not? Whenever you hear stories about my clubbers, fine. By the way, do you, you know when you, when you hear when you hear stories Bit about defensive. about Wimbledon. Not the tennis. Oh. We've done the tennis, but about um, f whatever the, the crazy gang. The crazy gang, and the things like you know they'd they'd hilariously cut each other's clothes up and yeah. hilariously set fire to to things and <laughs> hilariously trash a car. You just think, my God, that was been so. I mean, I, I I don't want to insult anybody who was in that Wimbledon team because I'm sure some of them were were not dreadful people. And all of them listen. And all of them listen. But it sounds awful. Yeah, but the they time all, you're they there, all sound awful. You, you, you're immersed in it, and it becomes second nature. You're right. It's like being a kid again, and you just live that life, and that's what you have to be to survive. I don't know whether it's, again, is that the same in modern dressing rooms How, with social media? Maybe it's changed maybe it's not, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. How was work, darling? It was all right. John Fashion who burnt my jumper. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But this, why? Why they, is John Fashion who <laughs> burning your jumper? <laughs> The footballers watch the in-betweeners and think, yeah, that's about right. That's an average day. <laughs> but they're, no, they're just way more successful with the women. Um, there's, there's this element, isn't there, of, okay, so we, th- th- that is quite a small parameter, isn't it, about the things that are very much closed off to only form a No, pros. but there's, there's performance-related things as well. So in terms of, I think it's worth, I'm always conscious not to be too critical about a player playing well or badly if, I'm not 100% certain what he's trying to... The thing is, you, you don't know when you're watching a game what a player's been told to do by his manager. And I think this is, this is where we can bring it around maybe to broadcasting. So remember Jose Mourinho, who's not a man I necessarily have a lot of time for. Mourinho did a bit of punditry for RT during the World Cup, and he said that the, what he thinks a pundit should be is someone who tries to explain what the manager is trying to do and gauges the players... By those standards, so it's really easy for me to say, well, I don't think Aaron Wan-Bissaka has done very well for Crystal Palace today, or Man United, or Manchester team. United. I don't think Wan-Bissaka has done very well because he's barely got past the halfway line. But if he's not been told to get past the halfway line, then he's doing his job. Well, he's up against Eden Hazard. He's, he's clearly yeah, yeah, going to have to defend yeah. rather than do anything else. And, yeah. and I have had this conversation with former players who I commentate on games with from the opposite viewpoint where they've talked about perhaps now we see an awful lot more of all journalist panels or all fan panels who start analysing the game in a way that really requires the eye of a former player. So say, for example, you know, they are putting the fact that they've conceded a goal down to the fact that they're playing too high a line. Mm. Well, that's kind of just repeating something you think might be correct Mm. because you haven't got the benefit of the experience to know exactly what they're trying to achieve, which is why I think we need a a balance, don't we, in terms of the the, the panels that we have who analyse football, or as Chinch said, you need to be able to take several different viewpoints on a, on a game and bring it all together yeah. and try and, often and, that, and try and view, yeah. form a view from that. Exactly. Often that's because it's cheaper. So we should, we should say that that's, that's the reason why because former players are incredibly aggressive with their wage demands. Why are you um, looking at me? They are very needy. Why are you looking at me? Their, their levels of punctuality are terrible and often they bleach blonde their hair even when they're in their 50s. So it's it's quite know. funny when on the, on the rare occasions when, when you do like a radio or a TV thing. And you find out what the former player's being paid compared to what you're being paid. I do enjoy that, given that you're doing just as much work as them. Yes, and providing... It makes my wife very angry. Yes, providing um, enough of 
of a, va- a value to be alongside them rather than be a subsidiary or an add-on. When we did the game podcast at the Times, we would do it as part of my... Mm. They, I was, it, was my it wasn't in my contract or anything, but it was just kind of yeah, talking in him, but you will make no extra money. Mm. And it was extremely aggravating. Mm. So it is cheaper to get journalists where people write breakdowns of games that have happened which I think is an, interesting, is an interesting discipline and is certainly something that's worthwhile. But I'd love to know how you do it without actually knowing what the managers were trying to do. Yeah, which I think is, is the same, is the same yeah. point that some former, former pros have, have made to me, is that unless you've been in that dressing room environment and experienced what the information that's being filtered down to you and how you're going to implement it, yeah. can you really offer up a tactical analysis of what's happening in the game? You can, you can perhaps mm. give a more general view about, well, I don't believe so-and-so is playing as well as mm. they could do or as well as I've seen them play in the past. But as, as you've mentioned, you know, example of a right-back not getting over halfway. Well, if he's been told not to go over halfway, you can't criticise him for not doing so. But it's more, it's more the kind of... You see, you see breakdowns of, and this isn't aimed at anyone in particular, you see breakdowns of games. So, right, so Villarreal did this against Valencia, and they, they attacked down the left, and they found space in this pocket, this pocket, and this pocket, and this is how they created these chances. And you think, well, yeah, okay, so that's a fact that they created space. I'm happy with that, not a problem. Do you know they were trying to do that? Was that what their manager was really wanted them to do, or was it just random chance that they happened, that the, the ball happened to end up out there? If you've not been privy, A, if you've not been privy to the manager's team talk and preparation, and B, if you've not asked the manager what he was trying to do, then that whole, that I w- even I would say that, that that tactical analysis of that game is not legitimate. You can illustrate the facts, but you can't apply meaning to those you can't, facts. Yeah, you can't, yeah, causation is not, correlation is not causation. And when I, when I speak to, to coaches, they, and we we're asking them about their team, they, they think we, we want the personnel, which is helpful, but the question I always ask is, what are you looking to do today with that team? Are you going to press? Are you going to sit off? Is it going to be 20 minutes of this, 20 minutes of that? That's what we want to know, is what tactics are you going to employ? Because that the pattern of the game is what we're all about. Because then we know, well, if the fullback they want to press the game and he's standing off and that's leaving space for the opposition that's getting exploited, he's not doing what clearly the manager wanted him to do. So then we can be critical and say, well, actually, we know this is going against what the manager's plan was. So that's why we always ask them, what are you looking, how are you looking for this team to play? And then we can go into the game and say, well, are they doing that? And then we can judge the players fairly because we know what the plan is. Chinch, theory plus experience. Yeah. Theory plus experience equals chinch. Just finally on this subject before we go to round two of Football Fun, which oh is something that God. chinch is... F- football Fun minus chinch No, the comeback will be on. No, 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 the, good comeback, game. the comeback will um, be on. Is that the level of experience that that player has had, do we think that they are a legitimate voice if they are commenting about a game which is at a higher level than they ever experienced? For example, we... We all think, I think, that, that Alan Shearer is a good pundit, just for example. Alan Shearer never played in a World Cup final, and yet he is commenting on a World Cup final. Do, do we, are we able to square that circle? Do we mind yeah. about that? Yeah, it's fine. So, so we yeah. don't have an issue with somebody who has not played in a Champions League final commentating on no. or providing punditry for a Champions League final. We think that the experience is homogenous, as you said, at least in that example, to say that if they have played football and they are able to illustrate those things which those non-football players are not, then we should, we should value well, you that. Won't, you won't have experienced the occasion, maybe, but the game is still just a game, whether it be a Champions League final, a World Cup final. It's still a game of football well, that guess- you know maybe how the team's going to approach. So as a former player, mm. most former players should be able to analyse the game, whether it's a World Cup final or not. Having ex- not experienced a World Cup final, does that mean you're going to be any less of a pundit? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't. I have thought, thought so. so. I, mean, I guess so it'd be interesting. To, I suppose the best example would be someone like 
Jermaine Genus, who I think is very good. I don't have a problem with Jermaine Genus at all. He's a nice fella. Lovely Nottingham accent. Under, underrepresented the East Midlands accent in the British media. I, would, I mean, Jermaine Genus can't have played in that many like, really, really high-pressure games during his career. He must have had some. Mm. But a few England, England He played for England. Yeah. He did, I think he played in a World Cup. But he, 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 he won't have played in a Champions League final. He won't, I'm not sure he played in a Cup final. Um, you know, he, he had a really good career, Jermaine, but it was... It was as a high-level a high Premier League player. So he played under a certain level, level of pressure, but not that absolute apex of pressure that you get in major finals. Could you say that it might be illegitimate for him to talk about the pressure on the players in the Champions League final? Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit, mm-hmm. but at the same time, as Chint says, I think if, if you've played in... You're not going to find a, a, a commentator or a pundit who's not played... It, on, in, in a game of considerably higher pressure than I, any of us can imagine, I guess so I suspect the, it's all all right. The point, the point is to not lie and say that you have or pretend yeah. that you know, and yeah. it's just to, to simply comment on, upon which you have the expertise. I suppose if you, if you could do it as a Venn diagram, you'd have on the one hand that medals on the table thing, yeah. that, you know, been there, seen it, done it. And on the other hand, you'd have the ability to eloquently analyse what is happening and bring that across to an audience. And the more that those two circles overlap... Yes the greater your... Just in the middle is Robbie Savage. Yeah, the greater, Wait, the greater your... I was going to say it's the Robbie Savage conundrum. In some instances, yeah. those circles don't overlap yes. in <laughs> any way, shape or form. Even touch. But yeah, the more that they overlap, the, the greater what you have to offer as a pundit yeah, probably absolutely. is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, your ability to articulate, where does that sit and how important do you weigh that? Is a journalist's articulate perspective more valuable than a former player's relevant but inarticulate so twaddle? Two, twaddle? <laughs> two circles... Crossing over, is that still a Venn diagram? You don't need to be three circles for a Venn diagram. It's two no, circles two still a Venn diagram. Yeah, yeah. So a circle is just a circle. So look, here we are again. Two the circles. Player immediately trying to undermine. Not undermine. Undermine. I'm just very interested in mathematics. Look, is it mathematics Venn diagrams? I presume it is. You've never played the mathematics game. How can you possibly know? No, I haven't been to university yeah, well, and didn't they, study mathematics. Go, so Steve, I, I'm going to shut up now. But I could whip Stephen Hawking. No, he's there. Stephen Hawking on the bottom with a with a towel. I could flick him. Do definitely. you have an A level in mathematics and statistics? Um, Do you? Yes. An A-level in what, did you say? Mathematics, Mathematics and statistics. statistics. Good lord. Uh, no, I don't think I do. Well, shush then. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. On part three of our summer specials, we'll talk proliferation. Is it harder to determine a legitimate voice if there are so many people to listen to and so many ways of getting our own opinion out there? That is on part three of our summer specials. That is all to come. Let's but do the stupid quiz. Far more importantly, it's time for round two of the soon-to-be-trademark game we like to call Football Fun. Over the course of our summer series, I'm trying to determine who is a legitimate football brain amongst the rest of the SPM team. Each episode of the four, I'm asking seven trivia questions seven because that's how many uh, England caps Andy won and any number higher than seven has subsequently been banned from his entire life and trivia questions because each year I get a diary with one each day for Christmas from my mother-in-law I have selected some from the months of January to, to June source, by the way. and with the squ- <laughs> speak to his mother-in-law and say look when it Christmas 2019 can we think of something different uh, the scores after week one are Stephen uh, oh, I, ha- I have six Rory four Chinch uh, zero are you ready for round Wait a minute, two? Did I do mathematics? No, I didn't. It's zero. Oh. Still zero, yes. Football <laughs> fun. It comes from April the 6th and 7th. Hang on, can I just say, question. though? Wait a minute. This is all very... Just, they're just trivia questions. When are we going to see a clip and we're asked to analyse it and where the defensive error was? That's when I come into my own that's and there isn't any questions like that. That's when you work on television and get paid. Oh. This is neither of those two things. Uh, which former Manchester United goalkeeper shares the record for the most clean sheets with 10 in matches at FIFA World Cup tournaments with England's Peter Shilton? Which former Manchester United goalkeeper shares the record for most clean sheets with 10 in matches at World Cup tournaments alongside England's Peter Shilton? 
Oh, Chinch has written something down and he's given me a wink and a nod. It's not right, but I've written it down. They're worried now that I've written down an answer. If you've written they, something, you yeah. wrote something down for the first one of the last Take one, your mathematics, take wrong. your statistics and shove them. Question number two. Which four English clubs did David Ginola play for? Or, to grammatically correct it, for which four Premier, uh, English clubs did David Ginola play? You need to get all four to get a point. Four English clubs. For English clubs. English clubs, not Premier League clubs, English clubs. Uh, they were all Premier League clubs. Oh, they were all Premier League clubs. They might have been called Premiership clubs at that time. I would have said he didn't play for more than two, so yeah. <laughs> completely flummoxed. Did Montpellier play in the Premier League at any time? No. <laughs> they are all teams who will compete in the Premier League next season. Yes. And I've got the one that you haven't. Take that. No, I've got all four. Oh, have you? All right, okay. In that case, we'll move on. The next question comes from another weekend. It's uh, April the 20th and 21st. Who can remember what they were doing then? Were they answering this question? Because if they had the diary, they would be. Fabrizio Ravanelli played for which Scottish club who went into administration in 2003? Fabrizio Ravanelli played for which Scottish club who went into administration in 2003? How do you spell Stenhouse Muir? Is it like Frank Muir at the end? It's interesting to see your resting thinking faces. They are... Rory's is slightly smiley with a smug face. Stevens is the middle distance looking at the wind blowing through the trees. And Chinchy kind of regresses into some sort of weird hobgoblet. And he just kind of <laughs> crunches up and just goes... Answers come to me, please. The next question is this. Which Premier League outfit started life as Boscombe FC in 1899? Oh, come on. All you need to know is geography. Which Premier League outfit started life as Boscombe FC in 1899? That's easy, isn't it? Come on. Be serious. All right, Even so what, Chinch what, has got that one. I haven't. I've written something down, but I don't think it's I'm right. glad you've written something down. You've all written I'm something down. I'm surprised you didn't sub Premier League outfit <laughs> for, for the benefit <laughs> of our audience. Funny. Newcastle's in the north, right? That is indeed true. Uh, Monday the 29th of April brought us this question. Nicholas Anelka, him again, is one of two players to have represented Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal in the Premier League. Who is the other? Nicholas and Elka, one of two players to have represented Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal in the Premier League. Who is the other? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chinch, going to write something? No. Next, we're into May already, would you believe? Wednesday, the 1st of May. May Day. Who is the only Italy international to have won the Premier League as a player? Who is the only Italy international to have won the Premier League as a player? Italian international. Well, if, if the answer I've got isn't right, then I don't understand... Then I think the question must be wrong. The only inter- in Italy international to won the Premier League as a player. Well, I'm glad you're all excited about that one. The final question, the seventh question of this round, comes from the 7th of May 2019. Who were the last team from outside the top flight to win the League Cup? Who were the last team from outside the top flight to win the League Cup? <laughs> Probably AFC Bostrom, though. <laughs> Are they outside the top flight now, or were they at the, at the time? Both. That's your clue. In fact, I'll give you another clue. Can you remember the last question of the last round had a chinch-inflected answer? Yeah. That's your clue. Vim Yong. I, I would have said Luton. Hmm? Did chinch play for Luton? No, that's what's confused me. Did Vim Luton Yong? wanted me. Did they? Oh, yeah. Is there a club? I'm sure of it. Is Everton. there a club currently in the '92 that didn't want you at some point? <laughs> uh, no. 
think they all wanted me, but they a lot of them right. went without. Okay, so the answers, come so on. the answers are as follows. And if you could tally up your scores, <laughs> adding on to your previous round. So, so, so Chinch, you need to add zero to uh, what you get yeah. this time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is at this point that we seemingly randomly and probably unwelcomely enter the podcast recording from what for them is the future and what for you is the slightly more recent past. Because as a result of what can only be described as a likely phantom lawnmower, the original cut off for a short period. Not only is this incredibly puzzling on its own, spoiler alert, it also happens during the third round of Football Fun on next week's episode. Hang on a second, hang on. Don't go blaming one of my studious neighbours for keeping the grass locally in pristine condition and providing... Grass that you said doesn't exist, yeah, actually, by the way. Yeah, there is no grass. So the, the, the lawnmower was phantom pretty much from the word go. What's happened here is that you've come up with a truly awful quiz and the gods of podcast recording have agreed. Even the software on my computer hates your quiz. Well, in that case, uh, I apologise to all those listening. For the purposes of filling in your play-along cards at home, let me run through the answers for the seven questions just can, posed. Can I, can, I do the, can I do the quiz again now? You cannot do the quiz because you already know what those answers are. Uh, Stephen and I are still here trying to fix the problem whilst Andy is in Portugal and Rory is in France. You will not miss much because essentially as these answers were revealed, Chinch slammed his head on the table and Rory looked smug. That could be the other explanation, actually. It could have been Chinch slamming his head (laughs) on the table that disrupted our flow. So, uh, mark your cards and have them at the ready. Which former United goalkeeper holds the record for most clean sheets in 10 matches at World Cup tournaments alongside England's Peter Shilton? Uh, The answer was... Steve, did you have this Uh, one? I had this one. It was Fabian Barthez. Fabian Barthez, indeed. Uh, Chinch wrote uh, Edwin van der Sar. Head slam number one. Which four English clubs did Davy Ginola play for? Uh, Only Rory had all four. Rory and Steve had all four. Newcastle, Spurs, Everton and Villa. Fabrizio Ravanelli played for which Scottish club? That went into administration in 2003. Chinch's offer to spell Stenhouse Muir was completely moot because it was Dundee. Which Premier League outfit started life as Boscombe FC in 1899? We gave the clue, or at least off air, that the uh, south coast positioning of the club should uh, be enough for you to get it right. Chinch wrote Brighton. The answer was, Stephen? Bournemouth. Correct. Nicholas Anelka was one of two players to have represented Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal in the Premier League. Uh, the other was... Uh, I should have got two points for this because I got it without the, without the clue. It's Yossi Banayoun. Yossi Banayoun is correct. Uh, Chinch, I don't think, even attempted that one. Who is the only Italy international to have won the Premier League uh, as a player? Uh, it's sli- slightly confuddled the panel, but Mario Balotelli was the answer back in 2012. Who were the last team from outside the top flight to win the League Cup as mooted... Sheffield Wednesday in 1991 was the answer. And would you believe Chinch got it right? Courtesy of the heaviest of hints. The heaviest of hints and the heaviest of head slams that have preceded it clearly helped him think straight. So we have tallied the answers. Stephen. 11. Rory. Also 11. Chinch. Finally, one. One. So that, that for Rory was a fantastic round. He got all seven of them right. Um, so congratulations to Rory. But it is neck and neck going into episode three, which I remind you, with a preemptive apology once again, we shall be intercepting and revealing some of the content because the phantom lawnmower came and cut our cables. 
Yeah, so uh, spoiler alert, I'm really under pressure going into episode three. Am I going to throw away a big lead in this fascinating and enthralling quiz? Everybody has the same questions. Right then, back to me for an unmissable sign-off. Well, I hope that everyone listening is 14 out of 14 at the halfway stage because you'd be winning. Football fun will return next week, thank God. Don't forget, if you have a soccer story to fill a future chin-shaped hole, please send it to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Chinch is formulating a soccer story as we speak over these four weeks Mm. on account of the fact that you are rubbish at trivia. Mm. And of course, all correspondence will be considered at the end of our little run of summer waffle. So thank you for everything that you've sent already. In the meantime, please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Rory, Andy and to Steve and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. I think I've eaten too many sausage rolls. Chinch is having his halftime uh, cashew nut fix. Mm. I wish I hadn't bothered with the sandwiches. The one thing that I actually put some effort into have remained pretty no, much I want, untouched. I want to eat them, but they just take too long. The, thing, yeah. the things that just got emptied out of the packet or sort of thrown in an oven for 20 minutes. We're not fussy all... people. No. This will formulate at dinner for your boys for the next eight weeks. Which reminds me, actually, somebody is dropping them off at home for me around about now, so keep your ear on the front door. Okay. They might just be sat outside <laughs> on the step crying. <laughs> Won't be the first time, nor the last.